Merry Christmas, everybody. It's hard to believe in some ways that Christmas Sunday is already upon us, isn't it? For some of us, it probably feels like it's come upon us very quickly. And for others of us, we've been waiting for a very long time for um, something bright in the middle of a darker season of life. You know, Christmas is a holiday of giving and receiving. And as you think about the transactions that happen in giving and receiving, I wonder how that makes you feel. For some of us, these dynamics become a begrudging obligation. For others of us, perhaps, it's a hurried chore. And that is evidenced in the fact that Christmas is just a few days away and some of you still have some shopping to do. But at its core, ideally, the opportunity to give and to receive at Christmas ideally is a delight for us. But I've wonder, I wonder if you've ever struggled with what to get that person that seemingly has everything. Seriously, what do you get for the person that doesn't seem to have any immediate needs, that has the resources to get basically whatever they want, whenever they want it? What do you get for the person that doesn't seem to have any specific desires that you can discern? What do you get for the guy that has everything? When Amy and I were newly married, we did one of those extended family secret Santas, you know, where you draw a name out of the hat and you get to play Santa to somebody else in the family. And lo and behold, I think it was our first year of marriage, I drew her father. And I felt that way. Now, Todd is an incredibly kind man uh, and gentle in his disposition. And yet, as I looked at him, I thought to myself in, the, my, in my 21 or 22-year-old eyes, well, that guy has everything. What on earth could I possibly get him? He doesn't seem to be materialistic, and he's not. He seems to have the things that he needs, and there's really no discernible tastes that I can identify, especially not within a $20 price point. But I still wanted to show him honor. I wanted to show him love. I wanted to get him a gift. But what do you get for the person that has everything? Christmas is a holiday about giving and receiving. And we know, of course, that it's not primarily about the giving and receiving that we do for each other. But in fact, that the giving and receiving that we do with each other is really mirroring something much larger than ourselves. It's mirroring the divine transaction of giving and receiving between humanity and God. And this morning on Christmas Sunday and later this week on Christmas Eve, I want to explore the nature of this divine transaction with you. That God gives to us and we receive and that we give to God at Christmas and he receives. And despite the fact that we know that God is by far the primary giver of gifts on Christmas through his son, Jesus Christ, this morning I want to start on the back half of that equation. I want to explore just for some moments together this morning the dynamic that we have the opportunity to give 
to Jesus on Christmas. But what should we give? He's the eternal Son of God. He's the King of the world. He is the Savior of the universe. Colossians chapter 1 tells us that all things were created by Him and for Him. And in Him all things hold together. And so now you see the conundrum. If Christmas is about, in some ways, this divine transaction of giving and receiving, then what should we get for the guy who has everything? What can we give the Lord at His coming? What would communicate to Him honor and love and delight? And this morning, I want to make just some very simple observations from the old, old story that we've heard again and again. And look at the givers on Christmas. Because when you look at the givers, you see an example for how we can engage the Savior in the same way. To do that, I want to ask you to turn with me to Luke chapter 2. And we see this dynamic of some givers, both in Luke 2 and Matthew 2. We see the angels that gave. We see the shepherds that gave. And we see the wise men that gave. And in Luke chapter 2, we see both the dynamic of the angels and the shepherds. This is what it says. It says that in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all of the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they, had, when, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at the shepherds what they had told them. But Mary treasured up all of these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. The angels enter the realm of humanity as gift givers to Jesus. And when you stop for a minute and you truly try to imagine what it would be like 
the scene is quite awe-inspiring. Angels piercing through the darkness of night, appearing to shepherds. The glory of the Lord shining all around them. The shepherds cowering in fear. And in the middle of that tension, words are spoken that pierce through this awe-inspiring moment. The angels are heralds of God and they bring good news. Their words are both a proclamation and a gift. They're a proclamation and a gift to the shepherds who would hear this news. But they're also a gift to Jesus Himself. And here's why. Because when you proclaim the good news of the Son of God, who is the Savior of the world, it honors Him for who He truly is. Sharing the news about Jesus is a gift to Him. Let me give you a contemporary example. If you say to me that Francisco Lindor of the Cleveland Indians is the greatest shortstop in all of Major League Baseball, you are not simply conveying information to me. But you are also bestowing great honor upon Francisco Lindor. In some ways, you're giving him a gift. If you say to me that Yo-Yo Ma is the best cellist in the world, you are not merely making an assertion, but you are showing honor to the great cellist and in this way giving him a gift. When you proclaim the good news of the Son of God as the angels do, they show Him honor. They show Him to be worthy of such recognition. They show Him to be God. And that's their gift to Him. The second gift that they give Him is that they worship. The whole host appears and they sing in a loud voice, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I've been thinking a lot about the glory of God over the last number of months. The glory of God is the external manifestation of his being. Let that sink in for a minute. The glory of God is the external manifestation of His being. When God is made known, His glory is shown. Job 38.7 recounts that the stars sang and the angels praised God at the beginning of creation. And now they appear here at the coming of Jesus, and they are praising God at the beginning of His new creation. God's purpose in all of His creation and throughout salvation history is to display His glory, to make Himself known. And so Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6 says that all of those who are predestined for adoption as sons of God are done so to the praise of His glorious grace. And Ephesians 1.12 says that those who are the first ones to hope in Christ, are to the praise of His glory. 
And Ephesians 1.14 says that those who are sealed with the Holy Spirit and receive an eternal inheritance from Him are to the praise of His glory. The glory of God is the external manifestation of His being. God shows His glory in His works of salvation. When God saves people, it makes Him known, which brings Him glory. And so, when the angels appear and they arrive on the scene, piercing through the darkness into the realm of humanity, and they sing glory to God in the highest, they are saying that the presence of God has been now made known on the earth. God is here. And he's here in the person of Jesus. And so they worshipped him. And the comforting reality is that when heaven sings praises, humans experience peace. And so they exclaim on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. The people that God draws near through Jesus Christ will have the harmony and the benefits that God gives them. And one of those is peace. Peace does not mean that you are in a place where there is no noise or trouble or hard work. Peace means that in the midst of those things, you are still calm in your heart. (laughs) Martin Luther once said that grace forgives sins and peace stills the conscience. Some of us have a war that is going on inside our heart and our mind. Our conscience is in constant battle. Our heart has raging and contradictory affections. And the proclamation of the angels is that for those who have this dynamic, Jesus is the one who offers them peace. And so these angels give two gifts at Christmas. They give witness and they give worship. When we turn our attention to the shepherds because they also gave something to Jesus at Christmas. It's interesting that the angels' witness and worship was in view of shepherds of all people, and it was for their benefit. Shepherds were considered to be sort of the lowest of the low in Israel. These people were ceremonially unclean. They often had no specific skills, and they were often children And because they were in the fields for sometimes weeks at end, they were kept away from the temple, and thus they remained almost in a constant state of being unclean and unable to be purified or ceremonially cleansed. In short, these shepherds had nothing to give to God. They had no discernible skill, and they had no moral standing. And even if they did, they had no opportunity to give it. And so look at what they did. Even though it appeared that they had nothing to give, 
It looks to me like they gave two gifts. Verses 17 and 18 says that when they saw the manger, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. They made known, it says. They shared the good news. Like the angels before them, they honored Jesus by proclaiming who he really is. And they did so to other people. And this was a gift to him. And the response is natural. Because when somebody proclaims to you the reality that God is here, you step back and say, what? And so the people in their hearing wondered, it says, at what the shepherds had told them. It reminds me of 1 Timothy 3.16, which says, Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. And so they wondered. The first gift that they gave Jesus was witness. <laughs> the second gift that they gave him was also worship. Just like the angels before them, verse 20 says that they returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. They were taken by meeting this infant king. They saw God incarnate. They had a sense of his greatness in light of their shortcomings. Early church father Irenaeus said that the glory of God is a living man. And the life of a man consists in beholding God. That is worship. The shepherds, the ones who had nothing to give to Jesus still gave him two gifts. They gave him witness and they gave him worship. The angels gave witness and they gave worship. The shepherds gave witness and they gave worship. And now we turn our attention to the ones that we most often think about when we think about gift givers on Christmas. And that is the three wise men. And so flip over with me just a couple books to Matthew chapter 2. And we can remind ourselves of the details of their coming. Matthew chapter 2, 1 through 12 tells us of the coming of these mysterious pagan wise men. And it says this, Now after Jesus was born, in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all of Jerusalem with him, and the assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. 
Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. These wise men from a far off land had a purpose in mind when they went to Jerusalem. They had a purpose to worship the king of the Jews. Verse 2 tells us of this purpose, and it sets King Herod, and it says all of Jerusalem, on edge. Because how is it that these pagan wise men, or maybe possibly pagan kings, as legend might have it, can understand that the king of the Jews is here all the while it's unbeknownst to us? They knew something of his grandeur, Perhaps they had heard of his coming in the prophets. They had paid attention, and now they saw a star in the sky. Maybe God himself gave them a nudge by the work of his Spirit. They sensed this from the Lord, that it was time. And so, verse 6 alludes to Micah 5.2, the prophecy that Jesus would indeed come. You, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, are too little to be among the clans of Judah for from you shall come forth one who is to be a ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. And it's interesting, not only was the coming of Jesus foretold, but even the coming of the wise men and their gifts were foretold. Isaiah was written in multiple seasons of the history of Israel, and In Isaiah chapter 60, we see that Israel is in a very bad place. And yet, God prophesies through the prophet Isaiah, promising better days to come. And he says in Isaiah chapter 60, just listen to this, how beautiful this is and how encouraging this is and even its application for you and for me today. He says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, a thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nation shall come upon you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah and all of those from Sheba shall come. 
they shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. And so what gifts would these wise men bring for young King Jesus? What gifts would the pagan rulers bestow upon the infant? The one that they knew had been foretold? The one whose star they saw? The one that they sought through a long and arduous journey? What could they, the learned and the wealthy, give to the infant king? Well, they gave him two gifts. The first one is that they gave him gifts from their wealth. From the wealthy come gifts of wealth. You see, the poor shepherds had nothing to give, nothing but witness and worship. But the wealthy wise men had wealth to give, and so indeed they gave it. They gave the Lord from what they had. And their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh are thought by some throughout history to be symbolic because gold is the gift that you give to a king, pointing to Jesus' kingship. And frankincense is a gift of incense that you give to aid in worship, pointing to his deity. And myrrh is an expensive ointment that you use in burial, pointing to his suffering and his death. They gave him from what they had, which was their wealth, gifts of honor fit for a king. And the second gift that they gave him, like the two before them, was worship. Verse 11 says that upon seeing him, they fell down and worshiped him. Throughout the Bible, when people see God or encounter his presence or even the messengers of God, their immediate response is almost always to fall prostrate on their face in reverence before him. They knew something, they felt something. And so in their worship, they did something. They humbled themselves before a baby that couldn't even look over the edge of the cradle to see them on the ground. And I think these pagan kings did this because they knew (laughs) that he was God. It's interesting, isn't it? That God revealed himself to poor people and pagans. (laughs) That the first ones to know, other than his own mother and immediate family, the first ones to know about the coming of this Savior, to recognize him physically, poor people and pagans. All the while, the people of Jerusalem stood by. People who knew that they had nothing to give him physically or spiritually, and so they gave him witness and worship. 
Others who had something to give materially, but no interest in giving something spiritually. And so they gave wealth, and maybe to their own surprise, worship. All the while, the religious in Jerusalem kept on waiting. The angels gave witness and worship. The shepherds gave witness and worship. And the wise men gave wealth and worship. These were the gifts to Jesus on Christmas. And so all of it begs the question, what will you give? What will you give to Jesus? What can you give to the Savior of the world as we remember His birth? What can you give to the one who made all things and holds all things together? What can you give to the one who has now ascended to the heavens and sits at the right hand of God the Father? All of that is another way of saying is, what can you give to the guy who has everything? My friends, here we take a cue from angels and shepherds and wise men. We can give witness wealth, and worship. The words that you give are the words of angels and shepherds. They proclaim who Jesus really is. It's witness. Friends, so many of us have become so scared today about who Jesus is and to proclaim who Jesus is because we have a greater fear of being rejected by other humans than we do of being rejected by God. So many of us look upon ourselves realizing we lack the courage to boldly proclaim what meeting Jesus has done for us as we have been forgiven of our sins and restored to God and live a new life and have promises of Him forever. But I implore you, give this gift to Jesus. Tell others about who he really is. I wonder if you think about your words and your witness as a gift to him. As a boy, Robert Louis Stevenson was intrigued by the work of an old lamplighter who went about in the evening with a ladder and a torch and he set the street lights ablaze for the night. One evening in Edinburgh, Scotland, as young Robert stood watching with childish fascination, his parents heard him exclaim, Look! Look! There's a man out there punching holes in the darkness. Punching holes in the darkness. That's what you do when you testify that Jesus, the light of the world, has come. And you have the opportunity to give him this gift of witness and of wealth and of worship at Christmas. Most of us wouldn't consider ourselves to be wealthy, though some of us are. And yet, regardless of what your financial status is, you can give a portion of whatever your wealth is to Jesus. I wonder if you've ever been the person who's given a Christmas gift only to later regret and feel guilty about the gift that you gave. 
Yeah, you have. I think probably most of us have. I think that at some point or another, probably many of us were like the teenager who when it comes time to buy their mom a gift, has spent most of the money on themselves already and figures out whatever cheap gift that they can find that is going to check the box and get the job done. And so mom likes to read and she has a garden in the front and so she receives a book on botany for Christmas. And even though she has no interest in botany whatsoever, like mothers do, she graciously smiles and she expresses her thanks to you. And as the evening fades away and the following days ensue, and you think about all of the wonderful gifts that you have been given and how cheap and thoughtless you were in the gifts that you gave, the guilt begins to set upon you. If only you had spent a little more money And if only you had spent a lot more thought. Your giving of this gift could have been meaningful to you. And her receiving of this gift would have been meaningful to her. Sometimes I think that we treat our financial giving to God like a teenager checking the box with mom. Whatever is left over that will get the job done with little thought or no sacrifice And we have the opportunity to do so much more to express honor and love for our Savior. To give Him gifts that are fit for a king, that points to His deity. He's the one that gave it all to us first anyway. And so we honor Him by giving it back. We have the opportunity to give witness and to give wealth at Christmas. And the third thing we have the opportunity to give is to give worship. Worship is not just what you do here on Sunday once a week, though that is certainly part of it. Worship is the occupation of the soul with God himself. Let that sink in. Worship is the occupation of the soul with God. This happens when you allow your mind to dwell upon Him and you allow your life to grow in reflecting who He is. If glory is the external manifestation of God's being, then worship is a recognition of that glory. God is here. Jesus is in my life. And because He is, I will never go back to the way that I was. And so my conscience is quickened by His holiness. And my mind is fed with His truth. And my imagination is taken with his beauty. And my heart is open to his love. And my will is devoted to his purposes. I worship King Jesus every single day as my soul is occupied 
by him. And that is one of the gifts that you can give to him at Christmas. What do you give to the guy that has everything? We have the opportunity to give witness, wealth, and worship to Jesus at Christmas. And so let's do just that. Please pray with me. Fathers, we stand in a moment and again express our worship. We thank you for this King of kings and Lord of lords who is worthy of our praise. We thank you that your glory is made known among the earth, that your presence is seen and felt and heard through the coming of Jesus. We thank you for the reconciliation that you give to us because of him. And we pray, God, as we think about all of the things that we receive, help us to be good givers to him because he is worthy. In his name that we pray, amen.